everybody, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast, our live recording on this Monday, September 20th. I am your host, as always, Timuchin from in Chicago here. And with me today, we have the usual crew, as always. Gally is with us. Gally, what's happening, man? How we doing, guys? Uh, doing good. Hanging in there. And with me, with his Don't Hassle Me, I'm Local shirt, is Paul Bickler joining us. Paul, what's happening? Uh, I am well. I'm well. I'm just uh, hating the fact that these things are video now because we're all clean shaven and I'm just realizing how fat my face looks. But other than that, I'm fine. Well, nobody's clean shaven, but we already gave a warning when we started doing these in video that people should be yeah. careful what they're like bargaining for. But so let's get this started because we did the post match together, which we do after every game, uh, usually different squads, but it happened to be all three of us. Uh, so we talked a lot about the game, but I still have now that it's been a couple of days, we have like some more stats and stuff like that. So I kind of wanted to go over the game a little bit and then we'll look ahead to the Norwich game as well as like Brentford. Uh, but as always, let's start with the trivia. Uh, speaking of not hassling you, I will be hassling you with today's trivia, Paul. So. Today's trivia, we were actually given some misinformation, which kind of like made me doubt it. And I didn't share it during the live broadcast last week where uh, Mo Salah, all Mo Salah's yellow cards uh, were from taking the shirt off. It turns out to be three of them out of the six he's got in total, five of them in the Premier League are for uh, taking his shirt off. But a guy who gets a lot of yellow cards on our team is who? Who comes to mind when I say yellow cards? This has got to be a James Milner question. Hell yeah. Good job. Yes. So, but that wasn't the trivia. You get only five. Damn it. I thought I got one finally. <laughs> so, James Milner, how many yellow cards has he gotten oh, in sake. the Premier League? Dude. We start with you as always, Bickler. What you got? Well, that's like 18 years at this point in the Premier League. And oh my God, dude. Um, hold on. Let me do some quick maths, which is also not my strong suit. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, this podcast is only about an hour. So <laughs> yeah, let's just take 20 of it uh, with me doing math. Um, I'm going to go. God, dude, I hate this. I'm gonna go like I hope Matt's I hope Matt's just Googled that. Matushin with the phone a friend. Um I'm gonna go a hundred and I think I don't think 114 is low actually. I'm gonna go 160, which seems crazy, even when I say it out loud, but that's fine. See, I want to give full credit to our friend Matush over here where he did not actually Google it. That was his guess. Or his Google is broken. Uh Gally, what do you have? I, I'm gonna say 140. Man, you guys are really like shooting this. According to the Premier League website, he has 69 yellow cards. What? I feel career. like I've seen all of them. <laughs> Is that possible? Yep, it says 566 appearances. Uh, he has 55 goals and he has 69 yellow cards. And how many red cards would you say? Six. Bickler, what do you have? Get some partial credit from this. Four. Oh, that was closer. Three red cards in that period. This is just Premier League, of course. I just feel like anytime he's in, he gets a yellow card. I expected the number to be a lot higher, too. Hence, yeah, it's the trivia today because I knew you guys would not get it. So, uh, let's start talking with him because we were talking about the game on the weekend. Uh, 
trends, I guess, you know, the more we find out now, especially after today's press conference, it's almost like the morning off. They realize that, you know, Trent is not going to play. And Milner finds out like three, four hours before the game that he's going to be starting as a right back. And, you know, they were talking about, Pep was talking about, you know, going for experience there, uh, making sure it was uh, covered with experience. And they got a lot more than they even asked for. And you look at his numbers uh, from the Crystal Palace game. I mean, I know he had a good game, but then I see these. I was like, holy cow, I didn't realize it was this good. So, Bickler, how valuable is this guy? Because I know before the season, everybody was like, and I think we even might have talked that he's not his old self. I think you're the one actually who said it, like he has kind of like lost a step. Were you shocked to see these numbers? Yeah, I was. I, I, I mean, I knew he had a good game, but like – it's crazy because to me, like he he seemed like he was more in a recessed role, like he wasn't going forward as much as Trent does. And then I see this, and I'm like, it's just it's just wild. I think, like for me, like when I when I think about James Miller, I just think about like in terms of value, like we we look at free transfers, right? I mean, you can look at what PSG did this summer and argue that like you know they had some of the best free transfers of all time. But for me, when you look at value for like what you're paying for wages and what the player actually brings to his side, it's hard to argue that there's a more valuable free transfer than James Milner. When you think about just the like the sheer utility of him and the fact that he can play, you know, as you know, an actual top-notch player in five or six places on the pitch. Um, but yeah, no, this was shocking to me when I saw this graphic. How about you, Gally? I mean, I know we talked about him in the past in terms of like reliability as well as, you know, what he does off the field, I think is kind of like as a co-captain, like a vice captain kind of gets overlooked what these guys do kind of like behind the scenes, especially with all the young guys we have. And, you know, like in the locker room and stuff like that. I mean, we talk a lot about everybody wants all these signings. And I know like when I was watching club interview, he's kind of like talking about how important it is to be a squad and a team. And obviously, like, these guys who are the captains play a big part in that. Yeah, Milner's uh, leadership is as big of a contribution as what he does on the pitch, which is also real important, as we saw, you know, on on the weekend. I wasn't as surprised when he was in the lineup once I heard that Trent couldn't play, especially knowing that there was going to be Shamikas in the lineup as well as Kanate making his debut. I could see why Klopp would want that experience. I know we were talking, um, you know, a little bit worried about Zaha going down the channel with him, but then you could almost see how he was, you know, really mining him the entire game and shepherding him off. Fabinho was dropping over and covering a little bit extra on that side, so that helped. The biggest thing for me about James Milner is that the engine never stops. And when you need him in a big spot, he's there for the club, whether it was bailing us out the entire season when Mourinho, you know, Moreno couldn't, you know, we didn't want to see Moreno on the pitch and he just played left back. And by the end of the season, there were people writing, you know, should James Milner have been a left back his whole career because of how well he played that one year as in the Premier League, even in his thirties, when he came over from city, I thought to myself, this is a serviceable guy to get on a free. I had no idea what the actual impact he would have on this team. And I think it goes to show the way that every one of his teammates treats him the entire time that he's on the pitch, uh, just how much they love him and just how important he is. Yeah, I think he's been, 
I like the fact that it reminds me of, you know, as an older guy playing with younger guys right now, you kind of got to know your limitations and what you got to do to be able to compensate, especially when he was going against Saad. That was a concern for me, like I said, you know, before the game, we were talking about this in the post-match. It was a concern for me, seeing him as right back going against Saad. But in some ways, perhaps, it, it worked out a lot better because, you know, Trent might have been more adventurous uh, leaving more room for Zaha Taku to run into in the back. But a big part of that was, I think, the team being able to kind of compensate for the lack of pace there and basically having Mo drop back a lot more. And he definitely had like an awesome game. And I mean, he was my uh, man of the match for this weekend. Uh, what do you make of his, I mean, over-the-top work rate, especially this weekend, Paul? Yeah, I mean, you love it. You know that I love when offensive players come back into the mids and do work. Um, but yeah, it was really apparent this week um, how far back and and how consistent he was in coming back to help. And I think you know that was really important because you had a number of things going on, right? You didn't just have the James Milner situation with Trent out, but you had Kanate, um, which if you were watching both Henderson and, and uh, Fabinho were, were sort of um, switching shadowing. So they were kind of going back and just kind of making sure um, that, you know, in certain situations they were kind of keeping an eye on Kanate, which they were able to do that because Milner wasn't going as far forward as Trent normally does on many occasions. And because uh, Mo was doing such a good job tracking back, but um it, I think it was an amazing performance by Mo just because like not only was he coming back and putting in that work, but man, he looked like he looked like he was gonna score every time he had it. I mean, I think Mitchell had a couple of really nice last last ditch tackles on him and and you know, they did some good work on Mo in general, but like he looked super dangerous. Yeah, I think those guys they do get, I mean, Mo is usually the one, right, that gets like less of a duty of like tracking back, whereas Mane will be doing it more on the left hand side. We kind of, you know, when we're defending, we almost like shift Mo over there, but it felt like it was kind of like a totally different thing just to be able to kind of compensate for Zaha. Uh, and you know, what he would bring, which you know, the dude is very dangerous when he gets the ball, and we played him well defensively, I think, by crowding him. What do you make of him as a player of Wilfred Zaha, their galley? I mean, is he ever going to – I feel like Crystal Palace always, like, overvalues him because he's so valuable to that team, perhaps. But I think his price tag is too high. I just don't know if anybody, any of the big teams, is going to fork out that money for what he really brings on the field because he's only, you know, effective, it feels like, with the ball – on his foot and he kind of like keeps it too long and he's not really but i mean at the same time i don't know that's because he's playing with players that are not at the same level as he would if it was playing for you know city or liverpool or united or whatever yeah i i mean there's a prime example of a kid who just misread the market by that i mean his own market back in the day the move to united failed him and it really just set back his career to the point where he only had this really successful periods while on loan at Crystal Palace outside of the few matches for Cardiff City. So during that time, he almost set his own level, where then he became the best player at a small club. And I agree with you. I think they set the price tag high, but he's even tried to make moves to Everton. He's tried to make moves to Arsenal. 
I mean, these really aren't big clubs anymore. He's not moving somewhere where he's playing in the Champions League unless he moves outside of the Premier League. And right now there's just not money for English players to leave because there's just too much, you know, people will overpay here. So you know what I see happening eventually? He'll get closer and closer to the end of this contract. He makes a pretty hefty wage right now for being at Crystal Palace. And he'll end up at a West Ham or a Leicester City, and he'll maybe live in a better area of the country or have a better time, a little bigger club, but it won't be anything like the moves he thought he was going to make, you know, years ago when he, you know, threatened to go on strike if he didn't get to Champions League football. Why doesn't Crystal Palace cash in on him? Because it feels like, I mean, especially with the I know like they set the price tag too high, but it feels like they could compensate and, you know, actually build that team a bit better and not be so reliant on him to be, you know, like kind of like keeping him around and making him feel he's not happy, obviously, because he wants to be. But I think at the same time, kind of like you're saying, nobody really feels he's as valuable as his price tag is. But I thought, you know, we did a great job against him in terms of like defending him. That's like the only way to defend that guy is basically just crowding him up and having one guy behind the other one and just not be able to do anything. And they're so reliant on him. It's a good way to shut that team down. Um, so obviously a great game, great final score. Uh, do we play our best football? No, but you can't argue with the result and the clean shit and everything. The only downside of it, of course, was the injury to... Thiago and so we find out now that he's I mean we didn't expect him to play against Norwich anyway but he's not going to feature against Brentford as well uh, I almost get the sense that because of how we do things and how many times they have, he has to practice I have a fear that he will not be ready until after the international break how concerning is that for you Paul um it's not ideal, but I'm not, honestly, I'm not super concerned. Um, the reason for that is, is because like, for me, I want to know what we have and I want to like, to me, there's got to be some sort of resolution, uh, some sort of tipping point with Nabi Keita, Right. And I think that this is like, this is his opportunity. I think it's more minutes for a Curtis Jones who's finally coming fit. Um, so I, I don't love it from the standpoint that he's obviously a world-class player and, and, and I think he's sort of a unique player for us. There's, we don't have a player that, that does what he does on the ball. Um, but uh, I view it more as an opportunity for players that, that I'm hopeful for, who are going to be a big part of this team going forward. So, um, I, you know, obviously not ideal, but I'm, I'm not super concerned. Do you agree that we probably won't see him till after the international break when Pep says, you know, he's definitely out, you know, against um, Norwich and Brantford? I've never seen Thiago come back from an injury uh, earlier than than the time frame given. So, yeah. And I'll be honest, like when I – the way he left, because it was yeah. kind of like off the ball and everything like that, I was personally more worried that it would be even longer. I should say I was almost semi-relieved to find out – it's not as bad, but how about you, Gally? I mean, uh, kind of like what Bickler says, it is a huge opportunity for Keita, but is that going to be a costly loss for us? Especially, I guess, like City game is probably the most important out of all the games that we're going to play before international break. Yeah, I mean, would would I like to see Thiago be part of the lineup against City? I would, uh, even if he could just play a role from the bench. 
I don't think they'll rush him back. We know this club. They don't. They don't. They don't play a single player over. Um, you know, for a single match over a long-standing injury opportunity. So I think the physios will do their job there. I was worried when I saw him go down for the same reasons. It was off the ball. He just kind of squirmed out of bounds, which made me think he wanted the treatment right away. Didn't even want to play to have to stop. Um, but then to hear the reports, it's a week out. Um, I think that it'll be okay. In the meantime, we'll see a little bit more Curtis Jones, which I think is always a good thing because he offers a little bit different. And I think we'll see a little bit more in Nabby. I'll agree with Paul on that point too. We should be judging this season as a make or break moment for Nabi Keda. He knows that his Liverpool career is probably on the line here. Uh, and from what I've seen since the opening day, he's appeared like he's really cared. And that look was magic. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about this look. So first of all, Keita comes in, and it is, especially with now, after Elliot, now we lose Thiago at least for a couple of weeks, sounds like. It is a huge opportunity for him. And when he came in, I mean, it's not like he played great, but definitely scored a great goal, and that should help his confidence a lot because I think, you know, we've seen the player. We talked about him extensively. I can't remember if it was last podcast or the one before that, that, you know, he's a player that needs the confidence to be able to kind of show the player that he was when he was playing in Bundesliga, the guy that we kind of like spent a lot of money on at that time and waited for a long time for. Um, so this look right here, I I guess everybody has kind of like a different interpretation of it. But what do you make of that, Paul? I mean, what did you think when he celebrated like this? Because I read all kinds of like really odd takes that I don't personally agree with, but yeah. A lot of, well, the Cantona, you know, the Cantona comparison, you, a lot of people thought this is like the arrogance of, you know, of that celebration. Um, I don't read it like that. I read it as a very humorous play on like, yeah, this is what, I mean, what, what's the fuss? This is what I do, right? You're like, I mean, this is what I'm capable of and this is my standard. You all just haven't seen it because I've, I haven't been fit and, you know, I've been out of the side in and out and this is, this is what I do. Like, that's how I read it. And I thought it was like, I thought the only thing better than the actual strike itself was a celebration because I thought it was perfect. Yeah. I took it the same way. It was almost like, this is what it's all about. I just don't know what all the other shit was before this. It kind of right. worked more than anything else. What did you think Gally? Cause people were like, Oh, you know, Oh, he's in shock. You know, he didn't think, you know, he didn't even expect it and stuff like that. And I kind of took it as the complete opposite. Yeah, I, I thought he felt like what's the fuss, people? Like I this is this is who I am. I am this classy. You know, the ball fell on my foot and I buried it in the you know in the net, and that's what I intended to do. And I intend to do it again. And I think if he had made it a huge deal about him and ran to the corner flag by himself and went away from his teammates and you know just went crazy celebrating already up three-nothing then there still would have been people out there saying that the celebration was ridiculous and over the top. And, you know, the guy just splits opinions right now. And I'm just so happy for him to bury that ball. And I thought the cheeky celebration was perfect. And I just hope he builds on it. So we're going to talk about this week's game. So I'm going to, just because we're talking about Keita, I'm going to jump really ahead over here just to pick your guy's brain. So let's say Thiago is not ready. Two weeks from now, when we play against City at home, do you guys put Keita in that midfield? Uh, I guess, 
or would that be based on you know what he does against perhaps like Brentford or if he plays against Porto in that game or do you guys play it more safe with the you know the Milner the old school uh, boring to some if not all uh, midfield of you know Milner Fabinho and Henderson Galley I I don't think you can play that midfield against City and expect to win um I think you have to play Keita. You need someone that can drive at people, someone that can press higher up the pitch. Um, I just think that this is Keita's time. I think he's going to take over the starting role. Uh, there'll be rotation in games, whether it's Cujo and Milner and Hendo. Uh, but I think Keita's going to play an awful lot now going forward for a little bit. What do you think, Paul? Or who do you pick? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that I think that he would have to play versus City. Um, I guess I, I'll, I'll kind of make a compromise. I don't think this is going to happen. But if I was the manager, which thank God I'm not, I would I would play a double pivot. I would move Fab and Henderson back as tandem holding mids in front of a back four with Naby in front of them, um, because I mean I think he's better going forward. Um, but yeah, I think you have to play him either way. Okay, so let's start with tomorrow's game against Norwich. I guess there's a we can kind of like speculate the lineups. We obviously expect some of the youngsters to play and all the like most like the squad players to play and get everybody else rested. More than that, what I want to talk about is what you guys think of how we approach these tournaments slash cups or whatever you want to call them. So Paul. Do you even care about the League Cup? Uh, would you rather have us go at these with like a more of a mixed one as opposed to like a total bench slash like backups kind of deal? Uh, I because I know some people are like you know really want to go at these because any trophy is a trophy and stuff. Do you view it like that or do you just it's like a side entertainment for you? Uh, I don't care for them, I don't like I. I think there's a reason they're not prioritized anymore by anyone besides city. Who's got the only squad deep enough to prioritize it. Um, that's why they've won like eight Carling cups in the last like nine years or whatever it's called now care about. I don't even know what it's called anymore. Um, but I know that like, you know, the real old schoolers love the English cups and, and really want teams to go out and win that in the FA cup. And I get it. Um, I just think that modern football is, has actually, diminish the importance of the cups by crowding the fixtures so much. Um, I think it's made it to the point where it's not feasible for teams to have squads big enough to prioritize them. If you're in champions league or European football um, for the most part. And I think, um, I mean, people will make arguments that that's the, you know, that you get more money for being in those competitions. Therefore you should build out squads, but this goes back to the entire reason the super league actually had legs um, the, the fixture crowding has become so intense that it's not offset by the financial uh, payouts anymore. Um, and so for me, um, I'm, I love, I love it as an opportunity to get the kids some minutes and get them out there and see what we got. Um, my view on that is the more that you progress through the rounds, I think the more that squad should be mixed with seniority to the point where that once you hit the quarters, I'd like to see us start fielding first teamers. Um, but yeah, so uh, like, I guess the short answer is, is I don't have a problem with us not prioritizing. See, like the, 
the part about that is I feel like by I mean aside from the year where we had to just play literally nothing but like kids uh, overall when we play a much more diminished squad we're kind of hurting our chances to be able to kind of advance and keep getting more playing time for some of these squad players like you know ox and you know all these people that we say or at least we hope that they need more game time they need more minutes to be able to find their form and stuff like that if they get more minutes they're going to get better and stuff like that i feel like by el being eliminated early uh, by fielding like a weakened team we kind of hurt that and not be able to get more minutes to these guys so to me i personally don't care about the the trophy half the time like for example right now i don't know what it's called this year or whatever but it's to me more it's about getting those guys the divox the oxes the takis of the world already game ready to just jump in and be able to play and produce right away and then we don't say oh he's gonna be okay he just needs more minutes where do you stand on that gallon yeah so i i don't prioritize them more than anything but an opportunity to play squad players in a team that doesn't utilize its squad very much so i like to have the extra matches i also think it's good because it a lot of times it gives opportunity to blood in the young, you know, the young lads, you know, the under 23s or, you know, now the under, even the under 18s that are up training with the, with the big boys now. Um, and I do like seeing it and I like seeing the teams. The competition is a joke. And the reason it's a joke is, is you hear about the big clubs bowing out of it, like Paul mentioned, because they're in Europe. And that makes sense. There are clubs that don't have enough squad. I expect West Ham to literally play youth against United this week because they can't compete in the Europa League and the Premier League and the League Cup, you know, and, and keep guys fit and firing. So they'll probably send out kids and sacrifice their team. The problem nowadays are lower level clubs, clubs that these competitions were built for, League One, even the, the you know, the Nationals League, they're putting out weakened sides. They're putting out their young kids because they don't want to be in it because it makes more sense to try to get promotion from League One to the championship than it does to try to make a long-standing run in the cup or have a big upset against Liverpool or against one of these big sides playing one of their weakened sides. So if the if the Cinderellas don't care, then how can there be any charm to the competition? And I think that's the issue. I mean, to, for some of these smaller clubs, being matched up with, you know, Liverpool or United or whatever, having a home again against them and getting all that money coming in is probably like the entire year and stuff like that in terms of like the bottom line. But like you're saying, yeah, if they're not, if there's no incentive for them to keep moving on, I know how far that gets you. So where do you see the future of these? Is then Paul, like, is this going to keep going where it gets less and less important where they eventually just take out the Premier League teams? Because I feel like if they take the top tier off and just try to do the League Cup with the rest, that kind of defeats the purpose because then they don't get the gate money and stuff like that that they're hoping to get. Yeah, I don't think they'll ever pull the Premier League out of it. I could see something like them eliminating maybe like the European place teams or I could see a situation where it just dies altogether. Um, but I think that's going to take some time. I mean, England is notoriously slow to change and they're very rooted in tradition. 
Um, so I, I think that's going to take some time. But, yeah, it's it's a dinosaur at this point. And that's why I feel like FA Cup for, you know, the older generation or, like, the more, like, traditionalist, I guess, the FA Cup means a ton more than, like, the League Cup. So I can see the FA Cup kind of sticking around, but it feels like, to me, this will be the first one to go. Or maybe perhaps, like, Paul is saying, you know, take the teams that are, you know, away on European duty so their schedule gets a bit lighter. But I don't know if that's like an adjustment they would ever make or just get rid of the trophy altogether. What do you think, Gally? What is that? Tell us the future. I can't see them getting rid of the trophy. I can see them radically changing it, like removing the teams from Europe. I don't think they'll ever remove all the teams from the Premier League because there are still a lot of Premier League teams that will fight for that trophy if they get to the quarterfinals. I mean, you know, we've seen Wigan go on and win it. We've seen Aston Villa uh, have their run to the finals. Watford had a run to the finals. You know, these were big moments for those clubs just to have their fans have a day at Wembley. So I, I think there are still clubs that will put time and attention towards it. But I think you have to take the big clubs out of it. And, and probably the teams in Europe is a good place to start. And then give the trophy some type of uh, reason for winning. You know, maybe it is a spot in this ridiculous Europa conference qualifiers, whatever the next tier will be that they have. You know, they're going to have every tier until Everton can play European football. <laughs> the good news about that is you can remove all the big clubs and City can still win it every year. Well, <laughs> so let me – ask you guys this then for tomorrow i mean to me it kind of has the feel of more of a preseason game almost like i'm looking forward to watching it but almost i'm looking forward to watching to see where everybody's at and seeing some youngsters and stuff more than you know uh, like a cup uh, matchup to see if we're gonna advance or not oh uh, i mean obviously we're you know we're addicts so we're gonna watch and watch it carefully but I mean, what are you looking forward to or what is the thing that you're most interested in tomorrow's game, Bickler? The academy kids. <laughs> like back back to like playing back to playing the kids, right? I mean, I think um I'd be shocked if Gordon didn't start on the right wing where Mo usually is, and it looks like Connor Bradley's gonna possibly have a shot at right back, which I think will be interesting. Um, both those kids are very highly valued prospects out of the academy. Um, so I think I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to, uh, possibly seeing Taki back in the side, um, and seeing if Minamino can hit the ground running, get a great preseason. Um, so yeah, those are probably the things that I'm most excited about. How about you, Gaddy? What do you guys expect out of Norwich, by the way, like in terms of the approach? Cause in some ways, do they want, I mean, the way they have started the season, do they really want a deep run into this or do they want to just focus on, you know, basically stay in the Premier League? Because when it goes back to the money thing, it's a lot more work to stay in the Premier League than win this cup. Yeah, I, I mean, would they, if you gave them an option of bowing out tomorrow and having guaranteed survival, they would bow out tomorrow. But, you know, whatever 11 players they put out there tomorrow, they're going to want to play and they're going to want to play well and they're going to try to score goals. You know, if you're the 19-year-old striker who gets your chance or if you're Josh Sargent who gets to start through the middle without Timu Puki there, 
you know, as in the preferred position you want to play, you're going to try to go out there and score goals. You're going to try to play your best football. So I expect Norwich to come out and be Norwich, which will be a little bit bright in the midfield and make a few passes and at times look dangerous and then probably concede when they make mistakes. The question is, will we take them? I'm most excited to see Cujo start from the beginning. Um, He's been bright in his few little cameos. And I think uh, Pep said today that he and Kelleher were the two guaranteed starters that he basically announced that would both get starts in this game. So it'll be nice to see uh, the young kid in goal. And it'll be nice to see Cujo in midfield. And I hope he can get out there and really put in a shift and show Jurgen that he has other options, both when he needs to rotate the midfield or he needs a backup in the front three. So Sparky Parker brings a good point. And I think this is probably like the thing that I don't like about, I mean, we see it in American sports a lot, especially like in the NBA, for example, right? Like the games are really expensive. And when teams do like the rotation and stuff, you know, you get, NBA is the biggest example I can think of in the States over here is where you can spend the fortune and go to a game and then, the two stars of your team are being rested that day, you know, like loads management and stuff like that. And that's, you know, similar to the, like the leak up. I think most people I would think go into the game kind of know, and this is their opportunity. Are they usually about the same price? I'm not even aware to be honest with you, or are they lower than I would think it's lower than a regular premier league game. Correct. I believe it is, but honestly, again, they can't play every game. If they play every game, they will burn out and not play well. So you have to rotate players. And if we rotated players for the big matches, people would lose their minds during that time, right? So, you know, you play your hardest squad that you can, and I think these guys have to play. And it's not like we're putting out bums tomorrow. We're putting out guys who are on wages between seventy-five and 150,000 pounds a week. Like, these are professional athletes and a couple, you know, kids who have earned the right to get a few minutes with the big squad. So I'm fine with it. Yeah, I think I think it just depends on how, like, I think there's a couple ways to look at this. I think we can all agree that the regardless of how we feel about winning everything, like, you got to prioritize things at this point. I mean, there's too many competitions. There's too many fixtures. But the nature of the beast is that you'll actually have to prioritize things. The other way to look at this is like, I honestly, as a, as a fan and supporter, don't care if the kids are playing, if it's the entire U23 team and it's the same ticket price. I don't care because A, like I'm interested in seeing those players play and B, like my money as a supporter goes to support the entire organization. Not just like, it's not a live concert venue for me, you know? I'm not, I'm not weighing out whether I'm seeing the Rolling Stones or some garage band down the street. I'm supporting an organization, so I feel I want my money to go to the club. Uh, I guess that's just how I look at it. Huh, that's like an interesting way to look at it. I, I don't know if I agree. I, I mean, you, you know, you have, you know, you have three boys. If you took your boys to a game, and we're talking like a pretty expensive day out, would the, would you not want them to experience watching? more and you know i'm just playing like the devil's advocate over here i understand we can't play more money every freaking game i'm just saying you know going back to sparky parky's point in terms of ticket prices is it fair to charge the same amount when when you take your kids there saying this paying the same amount 
they're not gonna get to see Mo and Mane. I mean, yeah, we enjoy because we're like you know really hardcore fans where we want to see the future and stuff like that. You know, oh, how is this guy gonna be and stuff? But at the same time, you spend the same amount of money for that experience compared to the normal experience that it buys. Does that make sense? It does, but I'll tell you what, like that's the deciding factor isn't the money for me. Like it wouldn't be the ticket price. It would be the quality on the pitch because like if I'm taking the boys to the game, they're going to want to see the stars, right? So like I'm not going to a League Cup match, but it doesn't have anything to do with the ticket price. It has to do with who's on the field. I would be interested in it, but I know my 11-year-old would be less interested because it's guys he's not familiar with, right? Yeah. So it doesn't have anything to do with the money for me. Um, I'd be there regardless. That makes sense. What do you say, Gally? I didn't expect the conversation to go around this way, but I might as well cover it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I my, my big thing is, is when it comes right down to it, I, I've been to one of those NBA games. You know, I, I've been to big games to go see big players and have them sit out and you miss out on it. But there are opportunities then that you see some, you know, there are times where the understudy is born because the star can't perform. So you ha- when else do you get to see Taki have a moment or find a way for, you know, Gordon to work his way into the first team setup. He gets that opportunity because there's matches like this that allow them to play to Sparky Parky's uh, point. Would I like to see a little bit um, less heavy rotation at times? I would, but the manager loves to play 11 to 13 players on a rotation, a rotating basis in his starting lineup between the league and champions league. And for that, you know, that's where it is. And, you know, these aren't reserve games, you know, whether that's, you know, what Sparky Parky wants us to call them. If that's what you feel, then don't bother watching. This isn't a reserve game. These are the players in our squad. Yeah. I think it's kind of like a, like I say, it's like an odd issue. I understand what you know you guys are saying as well. I see the other side as well in terms of the price. I mean, I would be very interested to watch it. And would I pay to go watch it? Yes. But like I say, but going back to what you're saying, Bickler, I wouldn't take my girls to go watch it because they would not be as interested in it as opposed well, to think of it, it this way. Think of it this way. This is like this is like a boiled down version of what happened to the entire team last year. Okay. Like you can have one competition and sacrifice that competition, or you can go all out and try to win everything and have weakened sides against several competitions because of injuries and in, in just general rotation, you can't, you can't feel the same. There's no way to feel the same, you know, 15 to 20 players, even if you're going deep across all three, you just can't do it. Yeah. And I think that's why the, it's a valid conversation to talk about the future of these side tournaments because i mean these guys have a limit in terms of like how many games they can play and i know like you know they want the gate money and all that kind of stuff but geez man i mean that is a lot of games for the intensity that these some of these games are especially in the champions league and the premier league i mean this is the toughest league in terms of you know like in terms of physicality so to expect these guys to pull that off every three days is pretty obnoxious and not human in many ways so let's hope they kind of figure this out down the road but definitely should be an interesting game to watch i'm not going to talk too much about like the lineups and stuff like that because god knows i think whatever we see we're going to be surprised with in a few ways but more importantly 
the main competition that we're going after. Actually, let's cover that real quick since we're doing competition comparison over here. If you have, if you want to win one this year, Bickler, Champions League or Premier League? I'll always pick Premier League. I'm on the same boat there. How about you, Galley? Yeah, I would be the Premier League as well. Uh, I want title 20. I want um, to prove it over the 38-game haul, and I really just want to just come back from last season's letdowns with the injuries and not being able to properly defend it. And I want this club to be able to celebrate with the fans at the end of the season the way they should be able to on the pitch. I think so. I mean, I'm shocked to hear some fans do say Champions League. I I mean, I guess it has this better, I mean, it has different bragging rights and more global bragging rights maybe. Uh, but I feel like it's so much tougher and it takes so much more to win the league. I think it has a lot more meaning because of it. Because especially with like, you know, even with Champions League, you can kind of have a slightly easier run than others and stuff like that. And it does not feel as challenging as like you're saying, like, you know, going through this Premier League 38 games and being the best team at the end of the day. So let's, since we all agree on that, let's talk about next weekend's game at Brentford, who has started the season a lot better than I know, at least I expected. I know we kind of rooted for them like two years ago. Like we were actually on a live Discord channel as they were playing to see if they were going to make it to the Premier League and stuff. And they've made it this time and they've had a decent start. So what do you expect out of this game, Galley? And what do you expect in terms of the lineup? I expect it to be our traditional back five uh, with Matip, Van Dyke, uh, Trent, and Robo uh, with Allison and Nett. I would hope that the midfield uh, I would expect would be, if it's healthy, Hendo, Fabinho, and Keita. And then I think the front three will be Sadio, Jota, and Mo. I'm not sure that Bobby will be ready by then. Uh, he was ruled out for the Norwich game, and even if he is, I think it'll be off the bench for the first couple matches back to get his fitness back, and because I think Jota is clicking well with these guys right now, he'll continue to play up front. Yeah, I almost expect, I mean, if he just started training with the team, I almost expect possibly having a Bobby siding against Porto or something like that in like last time, 15, 20 to get a run out over there to see how he feels afterwards. But how about you, Bickler? What are you expecting out of this game? You're a huge I'm really excited about this game because I loved watching them in the championship for the last couple of years. I mean, they were a high flying team, like exciting to watch. Um, I expected them to do better than most people um, in, in their coming back into the league, just because, they play such an exciting brand of football. I think what's really interesting about them is there's only two teams in the league that have a better defensive record of goals conceded right now. And that's us and Chelsea, which is kind of mind blowing. Um, they've only conceded twice. So, and that's not really, I mean, they conceded quite a bit of goals last year in the championship. So I'll be interested to see um, what that looks like. Um, and it's another week in the Premier League, man. We can't afford to, like, rest too many players. I think we're going to see a strong 11. I agree for the most part with Galley's um, starting 11 in that. Um, but they've got some players, man. It's going to be interesting to see. But and, and what I like for us about the game is they're not going to stack eight in the box. They're going to play football. So, and, and that always – anytime someone goes and wants to play ball, that's always going to favor this Liverpool team. 
in some ways, I hope that's what they do. But would they be that naive to kind of like come at us like that? You think, Gally? Uh, I'm not sure that they'll come at us. But the thing is, is they don't have. You know, remember when wolves did where all they did was sit back and then they'd try to hit you on the counter and they'd play with the five defenders and the wingbacks, but they had no plan B and that was really kind of the argument. Brentford's a team that kind of has no plan B. And the interesting thing is they do what so few two, so few teams do these days, which is play with two real strikers up top. And that's one thing that will be different for Matip and Van Dyke. And if they can get the ball out wide or, and Robo goes forward or Trent goes forward and they leave space and those center backs start getting pulled around, you know, that's where we really are going to have to see guys tracking back because they have speedy guys in their wingback positions like Sergio Canos and, um, and, and some of the other players on their squad that will step up and can score goals. So we have to be careful we don't leave space and give them too much uh, credit because those two strikers will cause a different problem than we've seen yet from anyone in the Premier League. Yeah, I think that's in some ways it would be interesting to see because it would be a good challenge in a way, especially before, you know, somebody coming at us would be a good challenge for that defensive line as well. But score predictions wise, what are you at, Paul? Uh, I'll go 3 1 Liverpool. Damn, that's my standard issue scoreline. But uh, what do you got, Gary? <laughs> uh, I'm actually going to do go 2 0. We keep the uh, great defensive work going. And that's the thing, you know, when you talk about like Norwich is scoring, I mean, they've played uh, kind of like Spike Bikes. So this is like the, I mean, we can't count Arsenal as a top team anymore. Uh, so this is the first time they are going to play one of the big boys, if you will, that are actual big boys. But they've kind of some like good games and they've played against some teams that are good offensively like Villa and Brighton and stuff that do actually you know cause problems and can score goals. So that will be interesting to see. But I feel like especially if they do not play a closed, you know, like a very defensive game, I feel like we should have an easier time and everybody will be rested for like the full week uh, before we kind of head to Porto. But, you know, Victor, you mentioned it. I mean, do you do we expect any really buddy being rested on this team with looking ahead to Porto? I feel like especially with the, you know, like the game against Norwich being tomorrow, not all those guys will have played like 90 minutes. So I feel like it will be just the main starting 11, right? I would think so. Yeah, I can't imagine anybody outside of the norm would be be, be rested. How about you, Gally? I mean, like I say, your lineup, I mean, do you expect any curveballs, last-minute clop surprises or no? Uh, unless, you know, maybe the only type of person I can see is if someone like Curtis Jones had just an amazing game tomorrow and played great. Maybe he find a way to fight his way into the mix. Um, I could see, you know, in the Porto game, maybe a guy like Milner sliding in or somebody like, you know, just a little bit of a veteran presence. But there'll be subtle rotations between these games. But I think as long as Liverpool has five, six days in between with three, four training sessions, Klopp's just going to pick the most fit guys of his senior 11. We know how he is. He plays his most trusted soldiers whenever he can. 
I believe so too. I think you know Sparky thinks you know Milner will be right back. I really feel like by then Trent's. I mean, he's just ill, so that gives him a full week to recover. Especially with them not even. It's almost sound like they're not even like thinking about playing, and he was not going to play tomorrow anyway, kind of thing. But yeah, I do expect almost like the, I guess our like top eleven, if you will, as of now, uh, starting that game. So let's talk about this for a little bit because i know we need a rant from paul and this is like an no. ideal case for it uh we haven't had a, i mean it's almost the end of the podcast so it's your time to rant man fantasy football what is up with premier league fantasy football not letting you change your freaking lineups even if the guy is not playing mind you uh i got screwed Big time. So I probably should have a bigger rant myself because I had Trent as well as oh, I can't remember the other name I had playing and they both didn't. So it's been kind of like a dismal week. But the only thing that's going for us, Bickler, within all this misery and your upcoming rants, Kelly it has gained ground and is up to 22. We know we're not going to freaking win. All we want Hell yeah. is Kelly to take over Galley over here. And she's up to 22. Only 11 points behind our fantasy expert, Galley, over here. So what is up with the fantasy football not letting you change? Start your rant now. Maybe I'll finish it up for you. <laughs> I don't really have a rant because I feel like I've ranted on this one for so many years and so long. It just doesn't make any fucking sense to me. And I love the Brits. I love the Brits, but they have two fatal flaws. They steam the nutrients out of all their vegetables and get gout. And they can't figure out how to do fantasy football. Like, like, why the fuck would you lock an entire week lineup on the first kickoff? Why wouldn't you do it individually, game by game, an hour before kickoff like the NFL does it? Like, I think the Brits have a problem with, like, taking other people's ideas and then writing their rules around them and feeling like it's better than the original. And it never is. But, I mean, I don't know. Hold on, we got a couple of Brits following us. Maybe they can. I don't know if they can tell I was fancy football, but maybe about the steam vegetables. Uh, see, Darren is already upset. In the, I don't know if it's about the steam vegetables was the one that got to him more or the fantasy football. But Gally, you're the fantasy experts. Make something happen. What the hell? I I I can't explain it. It's just part of the rules. I just assumed that it was because they don't let you because it's so important to balance the squad and rotate players and get guys that are, you know, playing well or have good matchups that I think the way they look at it is, is that if you have 13 or 14 guys that are playing every week, then you don't have to worry because they get, they allow you to get three of them automatically subbed in. The problem is the game is stacked to try to convince you to buy all the expensive guys that score big points but then when you look at it, the people who did that and switched their teams to have a bunch of dregs and guys who don't play, they ended up with guys who, you know, don't score goals or don't play at all. And, you know, they end up with zeros all over the place. So, you know, sometimes it's uh, it's luck. Sometimes it's skill. Most times it's just fucking luck. See, I know Darren was offended more about the veggie comment. <laughs> than the fantasy football company. That's actually not true because I went to school over there in the early 2000s and it, everything was steamed to the point where I was getting nothing. Like it was the first time in my life I had to take a multivitamin. <laughs> actually, I went to college there in the early 90s and holy cow, this is, has been like a age admission the podcast over here. But 
yeah, there was still a lot of steaming going on there, and I'm sorry, but probably more than I would like because I'm not a vegetable person to start with, especially when I, you know when I was in college, I wasn't, and then that was probably the worst format you could present that to me. And but having said that, America is the complete opposite where they deep fry everything, so it might as well eat fries instead of a zucchini anyway because everything is freaking deep fried to hell. So I don't know what Dude, to they, say about that. They deep fry eggs over there. What are you talking about? <laughs> But they seen the vegetables at least. So That's true. <laughs> there's that. So, <laughs> see, baby Darren is not the best person. Oh, I've seen. I can get behind that. <laughs> That's a reasonable. Well solution. played, Darren. Well, we'll let Darren drink oats in his beer. I have not tried that. Maybe I should. Uh, gentlemen, any final pointers aside from you know what to do with the oats and stuff, or what we got? Bickler, since you're done with your rant, yeah. you have another I've got rant nothing, dude. I've got nothing. <laughs> I'm hungry. Yeah, now, any though. parting thoughts? No, nah, no parting thoughts for me. I guess one thing is, is I, I will say this: I watched a lot of the Premier League uh, football this weekend. You know, on the telly, other than just the Liverpool match, and I gotta say, the uh, the refereeing is consistently poor. And just consistently inconsistent across all these matches. But I actually saw an article today that I thought was refreshing, which is for the first time ever, a non-European will take charge of a match in the Premier League this weekend. Uh, the Watford-Newcastle match. Uh, a guy from the A-League in Australia, like their top officials, been working here through the championship and working his way up. And he's been uh, assigned his first Premier League match. And I think that's a good sign because it's the best league in the world and it surely doesn't have the best officiating in the world. And if there's talented people from the United States or Canada or uh, South America or anywhere that can come to the Premier League and give us better officiating, then that would be great. Because if I were a Leicester City supporter today, I don't know what I'd be doing or what I'd be saying after those VAR decisions and the way that that match went and the handball award and everything that's happening around the league and the inconsistencies of it all. So that, and uh, the last thing is, I don't ever want to see a sub put on cold to take a penalty ever again. It's a bad decision. I mean, we talked about this in the Euros. So what would make Moyes think, you know what? I saw something in Euros. I can't remember how it ended, but let's try it. Zoom call with Southgate, man. I, I, yeah, I it was just mind boggling. And because when I, you know, I have weird and oddball superstitions like this when I feel like sometimes when United is losing, I'll be like, oh, great, they're losing. I'll freaking turn it on and they'll score. So when I see them going bad, I don't freaking touch the crap. Uh, I don't even turn it on. So I was watching Leicester City getting butchered by the refereeing on the other side. And when I saw the penalty and I was like, what the hell is that? Putting the guy in and having them take it. I don't care how experienced the guy is. He's coming literally off the bench. And that was, leave it to United to win stupid freaking points like this and somehow hang around on the top uh, without really playing all that in these games. So uh, Darren says he's already sick of Chelsea fans thinking they won the league. And honestly, like, you know, as you watch teams, though, that's probably the only team I think of because of, you know, the depth in the squad, aside from City, to basically keep this going um, just because I, United can't 
hop and skip like this every week, I feel like. So I see this as like a three-team race uh, as we keep going over here. But it's freaking United. You never know. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining. And thanks to all those who are like listening to us, commenting. And uh, we appreciate all the feedback. We're here every Monday at 7 p.m. And also join us with post matches as well. We usually uh, go on live, which in, within like, you know, usually like 10, 15 minutes after the game ends. So, well, have a great week, gentlemen. Hopefully next week we'll be talking about two more wins over here. Take care, everybody.